0: Welcome, learners and learn it alike, to help teach. Hello, and welcome to our community audio project. I am your host, editor, producer, and project co lead, Mihai Kovasar. I'm also a youth living with a physical disability. My most formative experiences living with a disability have come in the Canadian public education system. Many students like me with physical, emotional, or mental challenges go through their years of schooling lacking the supports and accommodations they need to partake of the same opportunities offered to their peers. The vision of this project is to provide educators in Canadian classrooms, students with disabilities, and members of the general public with the tools and knowledge that they need to make our institutions more accessible and inclusive for all. Join me and a diverse cast of guests as we explore perspectives on disabilities in education in this podcast series. One last message for you teachers tuning in, listen in each episode for our key takeaway that you can implement in your classroom today to help us further this vision. Hello and welcome back to the show everybody. If you are new to the show, welcome. If you've stuck around from the beginning, welcome back. I would love to give one last big thank you to every Canadian counts and their hashtag rising youth initiative for helping to lift this project off the ground by funding those first six episodes. And now we are in what you could call season one, season two, one and a half, who knows, but where we are now is a continuation of this project that I absolutely am excited to bring to the community to continue to do for a long time from here on out and to continue to share those stories and that vision for change that I and my peers have for accessible education in our community and beyond. So with this seventh episode, I am very excited to bring back one of my co-hosts who decided to join up with the project and stay as a regular guest from here on out. So you'll be hearing a lot more from her. You'll be hearing a lot more from my other co-leads as well, all fantastic youth leaders and great voices on the mic. But today, I'd love to welcome Alexis Holmgren back again for another episode. Hi there, Alexis.
1: Hi, Mihai. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be back
0: in the future you can expect ladies and gentlemen to hear more from educators in the community administrators and members of the public but for the most part uh we'll continue to have youth leaders and youths who have that experience in the education system to continue to make that conversation part of well the the daily discourse that i think we should all be having about accessibility and inclusion in our community for today's episode I would love to just get started by talking a bit about um, what's been going on recently with the both of us, Alexis, because I know that you and I have both had a very busy summer so far, and uh, you have done a lot of work and research over the last little while that I think would be super interesting for our audience to hear. So yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on with you?
1: Absolutely. So my main project this summer has been a research study looking at the impacts of the pandemic on marginalized populations of youth. And that includes youth with disabilities. And I was actually recruited to be the lead youth facilitator in that role. And so that was something that I had never necessarily envisioned myself being in a lead role as like the only youth directly at the table with the researchers. It's been a really incredible experience and something that was certainly not within my comfort zone at the beginning, I will say. It certainly pushed me to do things that I wouldn't necessarily have envisioned, but well within my capabilities. It was really, really great to actually receive this email in January asking me if I wanted to take on this role and then just have that conversation with the research team and hear how much they believed in me and how they really, really wanted me to come aboard for this project.
0: Absolutely. That sounds like, uh, well, that sounds like a great team. That sounds like really supportive individuals that want to have representation and knowledge at the table that fundamentally sort of underpin their research. Because that's that's super important, right? When you're doing uh, any kind of study or, or research project, you want to make sure that the knowledge you're starting with is from the source, right? So. That's uh, that's really great to hear that they took that on.
1: Absolutely. And it's been fantastic that with this study, even the data analysis that we're just starting to get into is all going to also be looked over from the youth perspective of youth who do have these lived experiences and who do have these identities. And so it's great to know that even the interpretation, the context, the way we're looking at things is going to be from the experience of youth who have that lived experience in their lives. And so that's really something that I think makes it different than other projects that I've been a part of, but in a really great way.
0: Yeah, for sure. So what groups exactly are you analyzing as part of your research?
1: For sure. So we are looking at youth in care, indigenous youth, racialized youth, youth with disabilities, rural and remote youth, and LGBTQ youth, and so a wide range of youth who face different challenges from being marginalized in different ways in society. Mm. And then for my position, I was specifically recruited as someone who has experience in more than one of those identities as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So then this uh, work was based in Eastern Canada, am I right?
1: It was a joint project between Bishops University and Brock University, which are, of course, in Eastern Canada, and then the Students Commission of Canada, which is a national organization of youth, youth led initiatives and youth centered projects, things like that. And so, yeah, it's actually a national study, and it's been really awesome to also have that like geographical diversity and bring in those different mm. perspectives as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you hope to achieve through this project? Um, I know we've we've talked before, um, off uh, off mic or off camera, as you will, um, about the project and how it's going and what kind of data you're collecting. But uh, what do you what do you hope to achieve from it? What kind of data uh, are you getting, and where do you want to put it to use once the project's over?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, the main focus here is to gather youth voices especially those that ordinarily aren't heard. A lot of times, youth from any of these communities have a really hard time being heard by people in positions of power because it just is not seen as the majority. It's often not prioritized. And so we're looking to collect large numbers of those voices and then uplift those and then bring their recommendations to people in decision-making roles and policymakers so that then this research paper and their recommendations can actually hopefully be implemented and considered in future policies and emergencies in the future
0: wow that is a really impactful uh, vision to have and i think uh well i'm very excited to see where that takes you because you know to be able to take direct data and um, sort of integrate it into policymaking decisions and work from the top down like that is not the easiest thing to do, right? And opportunities are few, I think, for us to be directly involved uh, in doing that. So, well, first of all, congratulations. And uh, second of all, I do look forward to seeing where that takes you. Thank you so much. You know, one thing that I kind of want to grab onto from this and, and talk about for the remainder of the episode is, You were talking about the fact that you're working on a research team, right? And the fact that as part of research, you have a variety of voices at the table, you have a wide demographic scope, Uh, you have a lot of individuals to sort of coordinate and to gather this data and then to compile it. I imagine that that can be tough to make sure that that all runs smoothly and to communicate with everybody at once. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, Why don't you tell us a bit about how effective communication has helped in that process?
1: For sure. Effective communication has been huge. And from the beginning, the lead investigator or the lead researcher on this study has been really open with us and has said, "Okay, if something isn't working, let me know. And she when she asks for our feedback, she honestly wants like the real opinions if she's asking me to pass on youth voice she wants to hear what the youth actually said not like what she wants to hear or what sounds good and so it's even affected change like from the beginning we had a different way of like giving out the survey and then I did a in-person data collection session in Prince Edward Island in a rural community, and the youth there were very helpful with expressing their voices and letting us know like, where we could improve on things, where things weren't necessarily resonating where they weren't really sure what was going on with some of the (laughs) questions. And so we took that and we revised it. We did some edits, we changed the process, we added activities and workshops. And so we totally revamped things after that. And that has been really awesome, like being able to have that communication, I think in my role is really cool because I have a direct tie to the researchers I have a direct tie to the youth advisors that I work with who give their voice on the data and research. And then I also have a direct tie to other members of the team as well. Like we have staff from the Students Commission who have all sorts of different experience and analysis and Mm -hmm. university Mm -hmm. students too, who are helping out on this project. So it really is that wide range of voices at the table.
0: I think that's a great place to take a little pause But audience members, don't go anywhere. When we come back, I'll be talking to Alexis about clear communication in the public education system and how open-mindedness can really make a big difference for students in the system. So don't go anywhere, we'll be right back. Welcome back, you're listening to Help Teach. I am here talking to Alexis. We're on a bit of a subject about your research and your work and how communication is really important for um, that work to run smoothly. And I kind of wanna take that in the direction of our experiences in education, because I don't imagine that it was always so smooth for you (laughs) moving from school into the workforce and into uh, research opportunities and that communication wasn't always that good.
1: For sure. So. I spent the first seven years of my education in the public school system, and communication there was a bit more challenging. When I was in grade seven, my mom had a medical emergency and was in the hospital for the first several months of that school year, and that was really, really challenging. And that meant that things in my life were suddenly turned upside down. Things were very different than how they used to be. And communication with teachers, with administration was challenging. I had been in band the year before, for example, and I loved it. It was great. Like, I loved playing the tuba, but I just couldn't commit the hours to being at school very early in the morning all the time when i needed to be spending that time either at home helping taking care of my younger brother or like at the hospital with my mom mm-hmm. when she was mm-hmm. finally moved to our local hospital so i just couldn't commit the time so i thought i was doing the right thing by like talking to my band teacher talking to the principal my dad came in with me explained the situation we discussed why i was stopping we thought it was a good conversation And then later, unfortunately, this teacher would talk about me in the hallway where I could hear and would say, like, I don't understand why she quit. She could have just done better if she put in the effort or things like that. And it just, I think that really, really hurt, especially with the circumstances that were going on. And -hmm. because I had thought that it was like a clear communication, I really had thought that was something that we had looked at. And then moving to online school, things were a bit challenging at first in some respects. Like, for example, one of the classes that I needed to take just because of the type of school I went to required for assignments that you drew multiple pictures by hand to kind of explain vocabulary words. Mm. And for me, with my disabilities, writing is something that is really physically difficult for me and something that some days I can't do at all because of pain. And so that was something that we talked about at parent-teacher interviews. We had that discussion. And then I think it was kind of having that in-person discussion, explaining the situation, and really like having the teacher understand that I wasn't looking for like a way to just not do the schoolwork. All I wanted was a different way to approach the assignment that didn't mean that I was going to be in like severe pain or just not be able to do it. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. we modified it. And then I was able to either like pull pictures online that were abstract and I could explain the meaning of, or I could just explain the meaning in words using like my speech to text program. Yeah, And yeah. And that was really great as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that kind of those kind of accommodations, they they're not easy to come by, but it all starts with that conversation. Right. Um, I, I don't think that it could happen without clear communication. I think we we all have some stories in the back pocket, but I think, you know, the one that I refer to fairly often comes from my middle school experiences as well, where there was a trip that was supposed to happen um to Quebec for it was sort of a merit-based application program, whereby it was not only a trip for fun, but it was for education and you had to prove, you know, that you were responsible, that you were able to, uh, and willing to take on the work associated and to be part of that group. Right. Um, and I thought that this would be a great opportunity to sort of explore. I knew that it would be difficult because at the time I was less independent when it comes to mobility. I didn't quite have the same confidence that I do now, but I thought, Hey, worth a shot. Right. Um, and as it turns out, without any kind of line of communication, one of the instructors on the review committee um, pulled my application from that pool. So just without notice, without talking to my family, to myself, to or even to the other people on the committee, my application was simply pulled from the pulled from the group, and it wasn't reviewed just on that one teacher's consideration. Right, and I mean. <laughs> I think for any kind of, uh, experience that people might have in the workforce or anything that sounds ridiculous, let alone, um, for students in education. And I think, again, had that line of communication been accepted to talk about what are the options, what are the, what can we do to adapt this could have ended up, uh, a lot more, you know, a lot more appropriate than that. I think i who knows, could have ended up going right. So, um, and that sparked a lot of discussion. And I think it it continues to be a, a driving factor today for me um, to make sure those conversations happen.
1: Absolutely. That really reminds me of an extracurricular experience that I had where I had applied to go on a trip with Girl Guides to the Yukon. I've always had an interest in the Arctic. It's something that I find really fascinating from a lot of different perspectives.
0: Yeah, for sure. And
1: So it meant a lot to me and I decided, okay, I'll put myself out there. I will put in this application And at the back of my application, there's always that debate. Do you disclose your disability? Do you not disclose your disability? Will this hurt me? Will this help me? And I realized that because it was such a big part of my story, I put in some information about my heart condition. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up needing surgery eight days before the trip to have an implanted heart monitor put in. So it was Mm -hmm. quite a chaotic situation. And I never expected that I would get into this. I just thought that it would be good to put it out there because I figured that by then I was so used to people seeing me as, quote, the girl with the heart condition, that I didn't think I'd make it past the first review. But then I got the email that I had been chosen as one of the five to go on this trip to represent Alberta. and i cried like it was it was so meaningful to me and that was the first trip i had taken as well since both my mom had her cardiac arrest and since i had received my heart condition diagnosis and so it meant the world to me that they also communicated with me afterwards and followed up about it and asked me like is there anything we can do what can we do to help with this and even during the camp, it was constant communication with me about what I needed. They set aside a little area in the cabin where I could plug in my remote monitor, which is a device that connects through Wi Fi or cell towers to my implanted heart monitor. And I could send transmissions back home to my doctor to check up on how I was doing. Yeah. It was great. Like, it was completely different to other experiences I'd had up to that point.
0: Yeah. And not only can that communication and that open-mindedness help in the world and out on on these trips and with these other communities, but it can help in the classroom too, you know? And I think that's where I want to transition a little bit and offer our key takeaway for this episode, because I think we, um, For our audience listening at home, we will continue to do this because that is the purpose and the vision of this project is to supply educators and students with those tools and those ideas they can carry with them. Um, And I think what you mentioned there that I want to really hone in on is consistency. You mentioned that it was a consistent line of communication before, during and after. And so what we want to offer to educators in this uh, key takeaway is a check in system that you can use to keep in touch with your students, uh, especially those with disabilities in the classroom and keep track of their needs. So um, Alexis, why don't you tell us a bit about what options exist for that?
1: So being an online school, it was great because different teachers use different approaches. And so one approach that was used was my biology teacher offered a one-on-one online meeting for any students who wanted to come. And then you could ask for help, you could discuss personal things, you could ask for like a one-to-one meeting as well, and it was honestly just a really casual place to actually have these conversations. It didn't feel really formal, it didn't feel like you were going to the principal's office or (sighs) anything, it just was a chat, and you could also ask for a one-on-one meeting, of course. And then another way that people did this was our class used Moodle as a platform which allowed teachers to send messages to students or vice versa. And so every week, some of my teachers would send messages with like the deadlines of where you should approximately be in the course, but also asking how we were doing in the course or if there was anything that they could do to help because it was an invitation as well, like, to communicate, because it can be really scary as a student trying to strike up a conversation with a teacher, especially if you have something like anxiety or even social anxiety like I do. It was terrifying, but it was great that they were actually reaching out to me and asking, and I actually ended up building a really positive relationship, especially with two of my teachers who I still keep in contact with, actually. they asked me to keep them updated on my adventures because I apparently have quite an atypical (laughs) but interesting life and so I send them kind of what I'm up to every now and then and one was actually my guest one of my five guests recently for my mayor's recognition award ceremony and that was really special having her there for that moment because She was a big part of getting me there as well. When other people told me that I wouldn't even graduate, she was there believing in me and just cheering me on. And that meant the world to me.
0: Yeah, that's heartwarming. And that's exactly the kind of relationships Mm -hmm. we would love to encourage in the education system. So to summarize there for you, audience, we have a couple of tools that will pop into the episode notes for this episode that you can use. Moodle is one of them, as Alexis mentioned, that you can use to keep in touch with students, Um, even setting up an email system or using Google Classroom, which a lot of teachers have transitioned to do. Just adding that invitation, of communication to your usual check-ins and your assignments uh, that you post really opens the door to clear open and consistent lines of communication between you and your students or if you're a student listening between you and your teacher well again we'll put those tools into the episode description and what we recommend just open that door on a weekly basis or on some kind of regular basis open that door and see where it takes you well, thank you very much for joining me today, Alexis. It was great to talk to you, hear about what you've been up to, and to share this uh, this thought and this idea about communication. So, thanks a lot for coming on.
1: Thank you so much. I look forward to being back. Hopefully,
0: <laughs> I look forward to having you back. Will happen for sure. You've just heard another episode of the Community Audio Project. Help teach. I'd love to give a huge thank you to my other co-leads on this project, Peyton Given, Maggie Manning, Elise Doucette, and Alexis Holmgren, all youth leaders at the Rick Hansen Foundation, who I'd also like to thank for their continued support in this initiative and others. I'd like to give a huge shout out to our community mentor for this project, Charles Katsia, and to our professional contact helping in the editing process, Chester Hall. My name is Mihai Kovácer, I am your host, editor, and producer for this podcast series. As promised, you can now find all our transcripts, episode notes, and links to other resources on transistor.fm, or listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions about the show, if you'd like to offer suggestions, or you would like to be connected as a guest, you can now get in touch at helpteachpodcast at gmail.com. That's helpteachpodcast at gmail.com. Please send in any questions that you might have regarding our episodes, and we would love to address them in future ones. Tune in next time for more great conversations and key takeaways that you educators can implement in the classroom today to make it a more accessible and inclusive place for all. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.